Welcome to Unlimited Parenting, where we discuss everything related to having children with disabilities or special health care needs. Today, we'll be listening in to Angela, IPOL's Executive Director, and Sarah and Melissa, my fellow parent education coordinators, as they discuss their personal experiences with rare disease in honor of Rare Disease Day. So, without further ado, let's jump right into their conversation. So, we were talking about rare disease, February being Rare Disease Month, um, and Angela, yesterday you mentioned we recording? disease and kind of threw, threw that out there. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. So, yeah, so it's Rare Disease Month, and I was thinking to myself, does my daughter have a disease? Like, is that really the right term? Because I was kind of bothered by it. I yeah. was like, what do you mean rare disease? How do I promote that? Yeah. And so I thought, okay, because she has a genetic disorder. Mm-hmm. So I went and looked because yay for Google. So I said, what is the difference between a disease and a disorder? And I was shocked that I learned that they are actually two different things because it turns out that a disorder is a group of symptoms that disrupts your normal body function, right? Which could be a syndrome, sure. okay. right? Yep. But a disease is a... Me- so here's the difference. So a disease is a medical condition. Um, the disorder may not have an, uh, an identifiable cause. A disease does have an identifiable oh, okay. cause. Hmm. And that's the only difference. So I hmm. had no idea that a disease hmm. meant that you could identify what was causing it. I guess I always thought of when you think of okay. disease, mm-hmm. you think of something that is... Um, communicable, yeah, yeah. other people can get it, or it's um, potentially um, life-threatening, mm-hmm. and sometimes our genetic disorders aren't necessarily yeah. life-threatening. Because you said that to me yesterday. You said that genet- that your daughter has a disease, and that would essentially mean that my son, who also has a genetic syndrome, has a disease, and I was like, he doesn't right. have like, a disease. Like you can catch it or something. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I was yeah. thinking. So, so I thought, yeah. why do, is that a, an outdated term to say that it's rare mm-hmm. disease month? Yeah. Um, but apparently it's not. Huh. So I've never looked at it in that perspective before because he, well, his syndrome is missing. Mm-hmm. So it's a deletion. So I've never, I've thought of a disease as you have something, you've caught mm-hmm. something. So yeah, yeah very much yeah. that. So yeah. what, so tell me, um, so for others, what is his? And I'll tell you, yeah. you share yours, I'll share okay. mine. Okay, we can do <laughs> yeah. that. So well, you guys are going to tell your story. I was thinking about this. Um, uh, every, we all had a very different how did we get to genetics, right? right? So mine was pretty quick. He had a seizure when he was nine months old. Our neurologist thought saw, thought he maybe saw something and ordered genetic testing. I didn't have to fight for it. I didn't have to really ask any questions. I didn't have to push. It came back to us, and it came back that he had a, a deletion on his 15th chromosome. Um, so that told us it was one of two things. It could either be Prader-Willi or it could be Angelman syndrome. Um, so then we did some additional testing. It was called a fish test that told us that it was, in fact, his maternal copy of his 15th chromosome, a protein called UBE3A that is deleted. Um, it's amazing how it's we a, learn just yep. all these letters, <laughs> yeah. them together. We are all suddenly biologists. <laughs> right? right? Yeah. You have to be. Um, so I learned that, and I guess I would say to 
begin with the mom guilt hit me because I learned that it was the maternal copy. We all have a paternal and a maternal copy of this UBE3A. And to get like completely in the weeds, the paternal is always silenced and we use our maternal copy. So for my kiddo who doesn't have a maternal copy, he is pretty heavily in impacted. Let's just say that. Um, so I had some mom guilt to begin with. And then I realized that this was before I even existed. It was a deletion. It was a deno. It was completely de novo. It, well, that's really interesting and important yeah. too, because what you're saying is that it's not hereditary. Correct. In our case, it was not hereditary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think that it is automatically hereditary if you have a genetic I think so. condition, right? right? It's like genetic means hereditary, mm -hmm. and it doesn't. Yep. Right. Absolutely. But, um. Do you want to tell? Yeah, I was going to say because yeah. mine did. Mine yours did. Is mine is hereditary. hereditary. Yeah. So, um, so our our journey started um, when I had our youngest Truman um, fourteen weeks premature. Um, I had some fluid buildup uh, of my amniotic fluid, and um, for no reason, this is my third pregnancy. Normal. Um, I did everything normal. Um, I didn't make bad, healthy choices, um, and just happen. And so doing some research, um, you know, you get on Google and you're like, why did this happen? What does this mean? And for, we couldn't really find anything. Um, and then about, so he has cerebral palsy, seizure, rare seizure disorder, um, and some, uh, cardiovascular issues, um, uh, pulmonary issues, things like that, um, feeding, he has one kidney. And so about 13 years later, we were introduced to a study. Um, my neighbor's, uh, kiddo has a, has a rare, um, genetic disease condition. Um, and she's on the listserv. And so she came across a, um, study for CP, cerebral palsy, um, and so I reached out to the, to the company, um, doing the, um, study and test and we didn't really fit the criteria because of, um, because it was premature. And that was one of the deciding factors that we weren't part of this. We couldn't be part of the study, um, because he had CP because of the brain damage. And, um, so they really were just ruling it out as it's, it's a, it was a, result of being premature. So in speaking to the genetic counselors, we were able to kind of um, go in the back door of the study. They reached out to our um, insurance company and they were able to, because of all of the other things that came along with that, um, able to get us into the study. And um, when we do those studies as parents trying to find answers for our kids, we take, um, we run the risk of finding other things that um, we may not have been prepared for yeah. in our own. And we selves. have to agree to mm -hmm. that. We agree mm -hmm. when we, we sign those those papers, and maybe yep. we don't even realize we're yeah. signing those things. But we are saying that mm -hmm. yes, you because they need to look at us too right. to see if it is hereditary, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So yeah. And so we we understood the risk um, and whatever that comes from. And that kind of just flagged a thought in my mind, and I'll talk about that in a second. But turns out Truman's uh, CP and all the other things were not a genetic, um, had nothing to do with his genetics and the results. But it did, we did find out that um, he and I um, have the BRCA1 
um, mutation, which is the breast cancer um, mutation. And he had another um, oh, liver something, but it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal at that time. Um, so he has the um, mutation for um, breast cancer, as, does, as do I. And that makes a lot of sense because um, I am a daughter of a mother and aunt, um, grandmother who had um, massive stage four breast cancer um, when we discovered my mom's. And so I made a decision, thank you to um, breast cancer research and all of the genetic research that is done um, to take uh, pre, I'm a previver is what we're labeled. Um, really? Mm-hmm. A pre mm-hmm. what? A pre So I not didn't a survivor. Know that. Yeah, I've never um, heard that Not a survivor, That's but a cool. previver. Yeah. So I uh, made the decision to remove no um, my ovaries and um, really cool. and then um, my both of my uh, breasts. And so I won't have to, hopefully, I my, lessens my um, risk of uh getting breast cancer. So I still can, but I am actually have a higher survival rate than, than women who don't have that, don't carry the gene. What does it mean for Truman? So for Truman, so that's a good question. So for Truman and boys, so my boys actually could, my other two. you have two other boys. I do. So my other two could get tested. Um, and what that means for, for males is that they can pass on the gene mutation. Um, so when they're doing their own family planning, that can be a conversation, um, and then they also have to be screened earlier than, than what is recommended for prostate cancer and those types of things. So, okay. but um, now, you know, yeah. And yeah. so without that, um, testing when women, when women ha- get ovarian cancer, there's no, there's no early onset testing for that. It just, you just have it. And that's how you find out you have ovarian cancer. Um, but with this mutation, um, it is a, there's a higher survival rate and, um, it's really the only, it's the most serious precaution for women who have, or, or males who have that, um, mutation to remove the, remove the ovaries. Cause those are what are the hormones that cause, that cause the sometimes devastating cancer. So, and that also helps me to advocate for my sister, um, who could now not have to fight to get testing. She can just be tested without, without question. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I have a different (laughs) story entirely. I'm back to the, I'm back to the, um, non-hereditary, but that's, that's not how we got testing done. So I have a, my daughter, we went, she wasn't meeting her milestones as a newborn, right? Um, Similar to you, Melissa, although she didn't have seizures, she just wasn't meeting those early milestones. She wasn't crawling on time. She wasn't sitting up on time. Not, uh, we knew pretty early that she wasn't, something was off. So yeah, so my daughter wasn't meeting her milestones. But the difference with me is that I have a first cousin who actually, he has since passed away. We were very close growing up, but he was very similar and in his development with delays and intellectual disabilities. And so very early on, we started to question, is there something going on here that's similar? But he had never been diagnosed with anything specific. And, uh, but then again, we're the same age, so science really hadn't gotten that far. So we started our journey very early, probably my daughter Amber was about four months when we started that, that 
our odyssey, as I call it, <laughs> uh, our search for a, a real answer. And actually, we started with potentially that Angelman syndrome diagnosis, and then the testing came back negative. And uh, over the years, finally, she was diagnosed. She was diagnosed with an atypical Rett syndrome um, diagnosis, but at the time, the the gene for that condition wasn't even discovered until she was three years old. So we we were sort of in the throes of getting that testing done, and then it it came back negative. And but it was still so new that there really wasn't all of the pieces weren't there. So there were new tests that came on. It was like oh, test for this too to see if it's this reason, and then it was negative and negative and negative. And so over time. By the time she was 10 years old, we had exhausted all of the testing and, and came to accept that atypical Rett syndrome was her diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It was the closest thing that fit, but we didn't have a real actual reason for it. Sure. And as she got older, she was doing things that most people with Rett syndrome weren't doing, which kept sort of creating mm-hmm. a gap of that got wider of, okay, she quacks like a duck, but she's not really a duck. Why? Why? What is happening here? So, like, she was developing verbal language, and that typically isn't mm-hmm. happening. There's a usually a, a regression that goes with mm-hmm. Rett syndrome that she wasn't experiencing. And so, finally, in, um, I think it was 2016 or 2017, I, thanks to my work, I was able to go to a genetic conference and I was and it was huge it was the it was just enormous there wasn't a breakout session that had less than a thousand people I've never been to anything that big it was so big but they were talking about the updated science Mm -hmm. and they were talking about these gene tracker databases and that they would put in the 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 symptoms and the genes uh so we all have variants apparently Mm -hmm. in our genes variations that may be causing something, but variations that usually aren't. Mm -hmm. So most of us will find mutations on our genes that don't really do anything. And that's great. Right? Right? (laughs) Unless they do. Then there are those that those variants are possibly doing something. So these gene tracker databases will look at, they'll put these variants in, Mm -hmm. and then maybe another lab in another part of the world even will punch in their person with their symptoms and their variant, and then they'll say, oh, hey, my person has mm-hmm. those symptoms and that mm-hmm. variant. Maybe we have something that's causing this yeah. here. And so they had this one presentation was I think they had come across like four or five other kids that had the similar symptoms mm-hmm. and the same variant, and that's how they discover essentially a syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. The newer, with yeah. whole, whole exome and whole genome sequ- sequencing, now they're able to find that. So I said, hmm, we need, to, uh, we need to find out how we can do this. So uh, the biggest challenge for us is that my daughter by now is an adult. And she is not a priority when it comes to getting into genetics and genetic testing. So how do you justify paying for this right. kind of genetic testing, which can be expensive. It's gotten a lot less expensive over the last 10 years, but it's It's still expensive. And insurance companies and Medicaid will still have policies and parameters around who can be tested and paid for and how. Unless you're getting in, like you did, Sarah, to a research study, you know, that's where the challenge lies. So because I have a cousin 
and yeah. potentially something happening uh, that could have been hereditary, mm-hmm. we were able to talk about the medical necessity, mm-hmm. right? Okay. What is the path for her future as she becomes an adult? What are some things that maybe we need to look at? Like, mm-hmm. is there a cancer or a heart condition or any of those kinds of things that we need to look at? And so we were able to say, yes, we can get mm-hmm. this paid for. And so we did, but we still sat on a wait list for two yeah. years wow. because in Idaho, we only have, yeah. well, at the time we had one state geneticist. Now we have two. It's exciting. Yeah. But yeah. actually yeah, prior to the one, we didn't have anybody, <laughs> no. right? We had visiting geneticists. Yeah, right. that's who I got mine from. Right. right. Somebody who visited either from, from Portland, Portland or yep. Salt Lake City. They, okay. or, yeah, they would come to Idaho yeah. on a rotation yeah. and see patients. So. Wow. We mm-hmm. were um, very fortunate. We got in two years later. We did the genetic testing, and um, in January of 2020, we got her results. And we, uh, I'll never forget it. I mean, we were 80th approximately in the world, oh, in the whole world, that's to so have wild. this mutation. But it's because other people got that mm-hmm. testing, and the whole genome and whole exome mm-hmm. sequencing happens now that we're able to find so many of these rare conditions. And there are those that will say, well, what difference does it make? What, you know, it's a label. It doesn't matter. It has been life-changing for us. And just like you, it was life-changing. You know, you you altered your whole life. As parents, when we have kids, no matter what the situation and what the what the challenges they have, we're always wanting to know why, what, why, 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 why. Not that it's going to change the way we feel about our kids, but as humans, we want answers to, to the unknown. Right. And so I think that, that by doing that, it, it helps us in our brain process the things. And then how do we, how do we move forward and educate our families, our, that's what I want. Plan of care. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted people. I wanted to find mm-hmm. other because while Angelman syndrome is rare, it's not as rare as Amber's. Um, mm-hmm. We, uh, when we got our diagnosis, I, I think someone told me that maybe we were the twelfth in the state. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So that's that, probably correct. It was probably mm-hmm. about yeah, about correct. Yeah. I had never and 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 I was told, oh, a lot of them are a lot older. Mm-hmm. You're the youngest, obviously, mm-hmm. because he was he was a year when we got that. So I just wanted to meet people. I mm-hmm. wanted to know what I was going to expect later mm-hmm. on in life. Yeah. I wanted to talk to other parents. Yeah. And it did. It gave me a preparation for seizures. Mm-hmm. It gave me a preparation for the sleepless nights that we would be having. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was knowledge, but it was also a community, too, right. that I know that it didn't change anything it, sh- it, 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 did. it did, because it I did. know that when we started with that diagnosis, one of the things about Angelman syndrome is that, by and large, these are nonverbal yeah, exactly. individuals, and so mm-hmm. you're going to look for completely different ways of yeah. communication right. rather than exactly. waiting for some sort of mm-hmm. verbal language to yeah. kick in. Yeah. And so that changes how yeah. you're, mm-hmm. how you're, you're right. doing your therapies yeah. and or... Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, because our trajectory absolutely changed. We were doing signs. We were mm-hmm. very yeah. much starting to get him to, well, try to, you know, babble, and that was something that he was not going to ever do. Right. So it did. It changed our trajectory in terms of our interventions and how that yeah. was going to look like for our family. 
But it also changed that whole family planning dynamic, mm-hmm. too. We knew that this was a, you know, yours was not. Yours was hereditary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We knew that ours was not. It was just complete fluke. Um, so, so we felt okay. However, we also had had, I didn't have family, that mm-hmm. had, but I had experienced multiple, multiple miscarriages. Um, he, we have an older child that had some um, spina bifida. Mm-hmm. We have stuff going right. on. So it did propel us to get some mm-hmm. extra genetic counseling. Right. And that was helpful. Um, so it did. It did. It changes the trajectory, I guess. I didn't tell you, yeah. so I didn't even say. So my daughter's condition is so rare that it doesn't have a name. Yeah. Kind of like your BRCA1 right. gene. Yeah. Yeah. We have a mutation on a gene called the HNRNPH2 gene, which it stands for a whole bunch of things that I can't pronounce, but I can I can do that yeah. string of letters, right? Um, yeah. So we are we are that rare, but. Going back to that whole thing of what are you going to do differently? Right. So she's in her early twenties now, right? And and it's like, okay, so what are you going to do? Well, it turned out. So think about when we got diagnosed. It was January of twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in March of twenty twenty, this wild genetic, you know, <laughs> situation happened involving RNA and yeah. you know COVID happened, yeah. right? But what that did for us in a very strange way is it gave us time. Mm-hmm. a lot of time mm-hmm. to be together because we weren't going in public, right? We were all home. We were yep. quarantined. We're all, <laughs> we're in these, <laughs> it yeah. was a weird time of pain for so many people. But yeah. at the same time for us, it was an amazing opportunity yeah. for getting to know the community, yeah. Yeah. right? The people, yeah. because while there were only about 80 in the world, we have a foundation mm-hmm. called the YBRP, Yellow Brick mm-hmm. Road Project. And we have a community of yep. people on a Facebook page where yeah. we're learning from each other. Yes. Yeah. And so I was learning about interventions mm-hmm. that parents of young children were doing and seeing success mm-hmm. in using technology that I hadn't even looked yeah, at right. at her age over the years. She was out of high school. She was out of school. Mm-hmm. And so it gave us the ability to realize that Amber could do things that we didn't know she could do. And we learned about a visual impairment mm-hmm. called yeah. cortical visual impairment, mm-hmm. CVI, that we didn't know anything about, which is common in this. And then I was able to go in eventually and do a functional visual assessment on her. And she turns out she does have this. We adapted our environment. We we did so many things that just Im- increased her learning. Right. And so those are the things that it's like, I didn't even know that this was a possibility. And learning doesn't stop. No. So what can we do to help increase her independence right. as she continues to get older and keep her healthy and all of those things? Mm-hmm. There's a lot more to this. But for <laughs> us, it was... It was truly life-altering, and I yeah. I want to shout that from a rooftop so that if there is somebody out there that says, well, my insurance company won't pay for this, <laughs> mm-hmm. or they say it won't matter, or it's just a label, I want to say that's, that's wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. Uh, I mean, uh, we're not out here trying to take something away from our kids or change change our kids or cure them. Um, yeah. Especially with that word disease, I'm like, is it curable? I wouldn't change anything um, other than to provide 
support, education, and learn how to increase his quality of life. Um, so, yes, we just talked about that this right? morning. Our, that is what I would want from that, that word cure. And in the Angelman community, it very much um, is a hot topic. It's a mm-hmm. hot word because we have a lot of clinical trials that are in the pipeline right now that's very and we exciting do too, yeah for, which is a miracle right <laughs> just, but and so we are quick. but mm-hmm. at the end of the day there are some of these conditions that are very health um yeah compromising mm-hmm. and and they they can be we have lost children in our community mm-hmm. already we have yeah. had kids that have passed away due to the medical complexities of this and I don't think there's anybody out there that would disagree that, yeah, you want to care for that. A hundred percent. Right. Yes. I want to care for that. I don't want to, I don't want to change my daughter's personality. I don't want to change any of those things about her. I want to cure the devastating um, health impacts Mm -hmm. that come with so many of these rare diseases. Yeah, I look at it like if I have a headache, I'm going to take some aspirin. I don't want my headache to stick around forever. I don't want him to have seizures that impact every minute of his life. I just, I don't. Or you with your, you know, I mean, no, nobody wants a cure for cancer. I think that might not be true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess that's true. Yeah, you're right. You know, people do want a cure for cancer. So, But there's other conditions that people are like, well, I, I, what's it going to matter? Right. 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 And. Yeah, there's a lot of that out there, and and that's fine. Yeah. And also, if you, if somebody is good where they're at, mm-hmm. no um, matter what, yep. that's where they're at, right. yep. and that's great. That yes. you know that there's no judgment there for me at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know be be good where you're at and and wonderful, but there is also again, like I said, mm-hmm. so many of these conditions that there are underlying issues mm-hmm. that are. Um, yeah. are truly devastating. Yeah. And, you know, we want to, I personally believe that even if we are good where we're at, if we can provide more yeah. information to the science mm-hmm. yeah. of all of these conditions, then I feel like we're, we're helping in yes. some way. And yeah. I know that, I know that at my daughter's age, no matter what is happening scientifically for the um, clinical trials and the treatments mm-hmm. and the cures that may come five to 10 years down the line yeah. at a gene editing level, mm-hmm. yep. she's not a candidate. And that's that's not even in our, uh, that's sure. not something that we're looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, treatments that could improve her quality of life, like you said, mm-hmm. yes, of course. I want her to communicate mm-hmm. more. I want her to be able to be yeah. more independent. I would love all of that for her. Yep. Um, because when she's frustrated and upset about something and she can't express that, there's nothing worse. Yeah. But um, really, we want to be part of the puzzle that can get pieced together to truly advance the science and help us understand all of these conditions yeah. better. Well, I think that's part of being a part of the community, too. No matter where you're at in your journey or whatever you want to call it, you know, older parents are giving knowledge to younger parents. And those younger parents are teaching us older parents about technology, about all of these new things. So we all have something to teach one another. I really think that. Because in our community, and I speak obviously about the Angelman community, but there are some angels, and I use that term really loosely because Reese can be the devil as well, 
Um, but there is the doctor's uh, name wasn't Doctor Devil, but it was it was Doctor <laughs> Harry Angelman. So yeah. that's why that's why we have this. We have angels that are in our in our community that are seventy years old that are still teaching us. That. Yep. They I are still that. teaching. Uh, there is something that are to be said. Seventies and they're seventy. Uh huh. So, uh, wow. She just celebrated her seventy-second oh. anniversary oh or, or uh, birthday. birthday, and she <laughs> wow. lives in um, she lives in an assisted living home. But she had all of her friends and family around her, and uh, isn't that cool? Yeah. I cool. I want to see that, yeah. and as part of yeah. our community, that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. I know that there are days where. <laughs> It is not unicorns and rainbows, but I want to be able to see that kind of stuff. It provides hope. Yeah. And I think think Amber gives a lot of others hope. Uh Uh-huh. I know she does. Well, I'm telling you, there's a plenty of, um, now that we're getting more and more diagnosed, even in our small group, I think we're about nearly around 200 at this point in just, you know, four short years. So um, most, though, well, let's talk about that real quick. So... um, (laughs) Yeah, most most are doing, they might be doing a lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a broad range is what we're mm-hmm. finding. You know, there are some kids that are very, very mobile and can run and jump and climb and um, and read at a, at a grade level and wow. speak with uh, wow. verbal communication in ways that I yes. have never heard my daughter speak, you know. And um, on the other hand, we do have kids that, like I said in the beginning, you know, very, very medically complex mm-hmm. kids that are uh, non-verbal, who are not mobile, who are struggling with seizures, who are struggling with feeding and mm-hmm. and tube fed, and so lots and lots of variation. Mm-hmm. Even if we have the same gene mutation, yeah, so incredible. we incredible. we need to understand that better. Yeah. But I was going to say. The majority of the kids that are getting diagnosed now with this mm-hmm. particular disorder are very young yep. mm-hmm. because they are getting access to this whole exome sequencing mm-hmm. rather right. than having to go through this, as I said, odyssey of right. testing. <laughs> we no longer <laughs> have to test for this and then test for this and then test for this and then yep. look at this and then maybe it's metabolic and then right. maybe it's this and then maybe we wait and see for another five years, right? It's yeah. Those days are gone. Yes, You have access to whole genome, whole exome sequencing. Now, not every condition out there is uh, found through that yep. process, but this one is. Yep, so, right. um, And many are. Yep. So... Um, but the majority of those kids right now, as I'm watching, are not in the U.S. Interesting. Yeah. Well, to me, it tells me that who one. is getting access right. yep. to genetic testing and yep. why. Yes. And so yep. I've, I've been on my own personal crusade <laughs> to find out why are people not getting more genetic yep. resources or access mm-hmm. here in the U.S.? And, um, and I think from that also come the services and interventions to for that. Sure. In each right. area. What so are those services mm-hmm. and where can you access them? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, there is there is a bit of um, inequity, obviously, oh, yeah. in any of this. So I live in an area where I am close to a geneticist. Mm-hmm. I could get or... You know, I'm right here in the Boise area. If I live, um, one of our families amazingly lives in a very rural state, 
um, in a very, like seven hours, seven, eight hours from any, Jeez. anywhere to travel, right? Oh, well, look at our fr- families wow. in Alaska. Yeah, I mean, they don't. You know, I mean, so, but this is in the continental U.S., but either way, um, it, to travel to see somebody when it's seven, eight hours, yeah. or just for other families here in Idaho, accessing things like early intervention, right. our infant toddler program, even right. if you're an hour away and you, there's nobody that can kind of come to mm-hmm. your home or you can't get yeah. there, you're going to be behind significantly mm-hmm. in either even getting a diagnosis or getting those interventions. Yep. And so there's a lot that kind of goes into the big picture of why we might not have a diagnosis or why we might, um, and then what happens even if you get a diagnosis. So, um, you know, and then there are catch-all diagnoses. like. Uh-huh. Um, Sarah, your son yeah. has a CP diagnosis, right. which again, and my cousin who, uh, was in his early fifties when he passed, you know, he had an intellectual disability mm-hmm. and that was all that there was ever that to was diagnose him yeah. with, right? Yeah. Many, many people, because a spectrum, uh, get an autism diagnosis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's as far as it goes. Yep. And so if they are a level three autism, which it may include yep. not having verbal language and some other things, are they being referred to genetics? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they aren't. And for, for again, a number of reasons. We know that pediatricians and um, pediatricians sometimes will tell you that they feel that this is out of their scope or out right. of their wheelhouse, I should say. Mm-hmm. Like they don't feel, I've read some studies where they say they don't feel like they don't, they don't know enough mm-hmm. about whether and what to refer to. Yeah. So they wait for developmental pediatricians to do mm-hmm. it. That was absolutely our mm-hmm. case. I knew something was happening. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. He was our third. Something was different. And mm-hmm. I kept telling the pediatrician that. And it wasn't until the seizure that got us to a neurologist, that got us to the specialist, mm-hmm. that yeah. the pedi- I, I wholeheartedly believe that we would have waited and waited and waited. And it was that seizure that was the catalyst that got us into yeah. that specialist. But our, I agree, our pediatrician yeah. was not ever going to make that call. But sometimes they don't do it because they don't want to refer. This is what somebody told me. A pediatrician actually told me this. They are a little hesitant to refer to a service that might not be paid right. for. Oh, and okay. they don't want to put that True. burden on a family. So you're grappling with yeah. a real, I don't know, yeah. I guess that's almost an ethical debate, right? Absolutely. Does the yeah. family get to make the decision on how they could pay for something mm-hmm. or or at least try? Is there a way? Anyway. Yeah. Like dangling the carrot. Yeah. In front of, yeah. There's a like, lot of barriers. Yeah. I think yeah, that's absolutely. just the end point. There's just yeah. a lot of barriers to access for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, if I had my magic wand, it would be to provide access to anybody who wants it. Because mm-hmm. there are always going to be plenty of people who don't. Right. Yep. Um, and you don't have to. No. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. There are others, though, in other states, and not here, that I've ever seen. But I have heard from parents in other states that have said, if I get a different diagnosis than what I already mm-hmm. have from a clinical standpoint like our atypical uh-huh. Rett syndrome, then we might lose our services right. because yes. that's qualifying their child. Yep. That diagnosis mm-hmm. is the, what's qualifying them for yeah. services. And then something like HNR and PH2, yeah. which is so yeah. rare, might not 
fit into a category that you're, yeah. somebody is saying, yes, that still qualifies mm-hmm. you for services. That's so, so messed up. Right. Yep. So, yeah, because autism, uh-huh. CP, those are those catch all diagnoses yeah. that, that they will fall into fall a it. bucket uh-huh. of, OK, yes, you, this will potentially yeah. help get, you be eligible services. for certain mm-hmm. services. Magic yep. words. Right. Magic so, words. Yep. Magic words. Eligibility. Yeah. So um, and again, that varies from state to state. And hopefully some of that is changing again yeah. as we've made improvements in in all of this. But, you know. It's time, time and science, time and science, and, and advocacy, mm-hmm. always advocacy, and always parents. Does anybody have any parting thoughts or something that they wished parents knew or something that you wish you knew sooner before we go? Um, I'll start, and then I think that we in our minds, bodies, and hearts as parents have a sixth sense and intuition, um, and to not ignore that. As a, as a parent, um, searching for, for an answer or just for um, peace of mind that listen, listen and um, continue to ask questions. I trust your yep. mom gut <laughs> or your yes. dad gut. Yep. Mm-hmm. Trust, your, mm-hmm. trust that gut of yours because we're usually, we're usually right even yep. if we don't want to be. I don't think any of us wanted to be. Yeah. You know, no. I mean, no, I wanted I to be so wrong. Yeah. It was yeah. the only time I wanted to be wrong. Right. But I know. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so I, I don't, I think other, I've already yeah. said everything that mm-hmm. is uh, parting words. I, I, if somebody doesn't know how to access genetic testing and that's something that they want, then um, hopefully they'll contact us or yeah. um, a parent center in your own state or region. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't add anything that we haven't already said. I'm thankful that I had access to it. I'm thankful I didn't ever have to fight for it. Um, and it it came to us really easily. I know that I am not, that's not normal. So I know I recognize that my privilege in that, that we got a diagnosis so quick and, and then everything started very much falling into place for us. Thank you so much to everyone out there in podcast land for listening in. If you are in Idaho or planning on moving to Idaho and have any questions on systems or services for children with disabilities, please reach out to us on our website at ipolidaho.org. That's I-P-U-L-Idaho.org or by calling us at 208 208- Three four two five eight eight four. Until then, this has been Unlimited Parenting. Thanks for listening. <laughs>